Hello and welcome to the first episode of the Influential Times for 2021. Pleased to say that I'm joined as usual by Jack. Evening, Jack. Hi. Uh, my first story for this podcast is around virtual influencers. So, yeah, an interesting story that I found this week. Um, it's another one of those interesting sort of intersections between AI and marketing. Um, I, I have to say I was a little bit sceptical when I first saw this story, but um, it's definitely sort of a, an area that's growing in popularity. Um, one definition that I found when I was doing some research on this was uh, a digital character created in computer graphic software, then given a personality defined by a first-person view of the world and made accessible on media platforms for the sake of influence. So, yeah, it's an interesting um, interesting kind of tactic that brands are using in terms of virtual influencers. Um, some of the advantages that I found were the fact that they can be used from anywhere. Obviously, they're not, you know, affected by the pandemic and, and moving around and lockdowns and things like that, which we know has obviously been a challenge for, for the influencer marketing world. They also don't grow old. You know, they can, they kind of can be used forever. And they also don't have the ability to jeopardize a brand's reputation as well. So, um, yeah, you can see why they're, they're becoming more popular. Um, I also looked into one of the first virtual influencers who goes by the name of Lil McQuila. Um, and she actually has some impressive stats. So she's actually got 2.8 million followers across her different channels. Um, she charges $8,000 per post. And she actually has a better engagement rate than the likes of Selena Gomez and Beyonce as well. So, um, so yes, yeah, some impressive stats. And she's actually working with some big brands, the likes of Calvin Klein, Samsung and Prada. So an interesting story there. But Jack, I'm not quite sure we'll be seeing virtual influencers in the B2B world too soon. Yeah, I don't know. It's one, one of those things that if someone sort of... Uh time traveled from 1996 and you tried to explain it to them you sort of feel like their brain would just sort of melt into slugs and pour out of their ears um, mm. as you were trying to get into it but I can I can kind of see why why people are interested in it it's definitely going on long enough that we can say it's not a gimmick anymore like clearly this is yeah. there is a market for this um so speaking of speaking of short-lived gimmicks um there's a good story on Vox's newsletter, uh, The Goods, by uh, it's by Rebecca Jennings at, at Vox, and she's kind of written about how the the sea shanty trend on TikTok ended up. It's kind of a it, it's kind of a really good example of both uh, of kind of how successful TikTok's mechanism is, and then how that these kind of niche trends get catapulted into the mainstream and almost immediately get sort of consumed and exhausted. So, you know, by the time that kind of sea shanties were, were starting to show up on on kind of mainstream platforms and people were starting to write up articles about it, you know, I have to say from my kind of occasional TikTok use, I'd sort of cycled through it maybe weeks ago. Um, and I think, yeah, the, the editor of The Baffler, Jess Bergman, which could, sort of summed up how I felt about it by the time it, it got big by saying, if I see one more explainer about sea shanties on the teen video app, I'm going to go postal. Um, so it's, it's kind of a, it's, it's an interesting one. I think it, it just shows that TikTok, you know, the internet has always done this and, and sort of Tumblr and niche parts of Twitter, the kind of obscure bits of the blogosphere or Reddit have always had this ability, but TikTok seems to be able to do it faster, better, stronger. Um, and I think probably the fact that it, it tends to be in video format and that they've really shaped their 
their sort of platform strategy around making the content shareable to other platforms really easily. You know, none of this nonsense where if you post something to Instagram and then try and link it across to Twitter, mm. it just looks rubbish. Yeah. Um, then they make it really easy to share. It just gets the kind of the watermark on it. Everyone knows where it's from. And it just really reinforces the sense that kind of TikTok is driving the cultural zeitgeist mm. um, at the minute. So, you know, I think it, it's it's certainly, you know, it, it, whenever these things come up, it's, it's usually, you know, pro- provides a bit of light relief. But I think under it, it just tells you that sort of TikTok is really the center of gravity um, in online culture right now. Um, another 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 big thing then that you had was this story about review um, by yes. being, being snapped up by Twitter this week. Yeah, an interesting story that came out this week. Um, I, I, people perhaps might not have heard of review they're actually quite a small company they're only five years old um they're actually a dutch company they've only got six employees but they were uh, acquired by twitter um and what review do is they they kind of help writers and publishers to kind of send out editorial newsletters and the key thing really is that they help them to maximize their revenue so helping them to to have subscriptions to their content um, and drive revenue that way obviously review kind of take a take a cut of that and that's how they they make their money um i think the interesting thing about the acquisition from twitter is that it's another step in the direction of long form content as we know you know twitter typically um is is short form content but they have been creeping into that sort of world of long form content a little bit over the last few years obviously in 2016 they they stopped including links and photos in their character limit and in 2017, they actually increased the limit to 280 from 140. Um, so it's another step in that direction. And it seems now they want to get a slice of the action um, in terms of keeping people on the site rather than you know having to click outside of Twitter to uh, to access long form content, especially um, you know creator and and influencer content. So in terms of the application in sort of influencers and in B2B, I think this will be really interesting. Um, it definitely means that influencers can kind of leverage their Twitter following. You know, people who've built up a large following over a number of years, it means that they can now sort of try and convert those followers into subscribers who, you know, want to get, you know, consistent content delivered to their email inbox or whatever. Um, and it, yeah, so it kind of helps helps both sides there in terms of the, the influencers, the creators, but also the, the audiences who want to, I guess, sort of cherry pick what, what content they want to access and, and even pay for. Um, so Twitter have said that Review will remain as a standalone company. So it'll sit within Twitter, but will you know it'll, they'll keep their sort of brand name and everything they've built up. But they will Twitter will be have, um, heavily investing in the growth um, of, of the platform. So so watch this space. Um, Jack, how do you think this will have an impact with the, the B2B influencers? Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree. I think it's it's got it, it, it feels like a really neat fit. I think the direction of travel in influence and, and the sort of creator economy generally has been, you know, thinking how do we monetize um, and how do platforms make monetization easier. The bonus story this week actually does a little bit more on this, but I'll, I'll jump into it now because it's relevant. Uh, there was a podcast uh, with Adam Masseri, head of Instagram, and he he said something which I thought was quite revealing. It was kind of almost an aside, but he sort of said something along the lines of it almost feels like kind of we've done something wrong when creators are sort of having to leave the ecosystem to to sort of monetize their following and you can see with yeah. things like instagram shopping you know they're trying to keep people in yeah. Yeah, in yeah. their in their ecosystem so i thought that was that was kind of an interesting um 
remark and Twitter have been talking about a subscription option for a little while. It obviously is good for revenue to have users that pay. Um, so, you know, I'm sure I'm sure it'll help with the stock price. But yeah, Jack Dorsey's been talking about this for a while. Um, I kind of can't pretend I foresaw this exact move, but it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, and I was, I was actually talking to a to to our our friend Scott Guthrie um, about this on on LinkedIn this week, and about two years ago he was he was talking about how influencers need to make sure they don't build on rented land. Yeah. Um, you know you're vulnerable to to an algorithm change on on any social platform. So an interesting one. Um, so speaking of kind of investing in in creators um, and actually sort of spending money on them directly, uh, Clubhouse, the kind of very buzzy um audio uh, audio only social app um has closed a round of funding with with people like andres and horowitz getting involved i thought that there there's kind of two two bits of this that i think are really interesting um one they're immediately talking about creator payments so this is something that has generally taken you know organizations a long time to come to um you know patreon's been around or, or patreon's kind of been around for six seven years now um you know, I think 2014 was when they really started growing and expanding. Um, but it's only in the last year, six months or so, we've seen like Snapchat are starting to pump loads into into sort of trying to hold on to creators, giving away a million a day. TikTok has the creator fund. You can kind of see more of that stuff happening. So it's interesting that they've gone for it immediately and they've identified that creators are the pull. You know, that's the reason to come into a room. Um, I think I'm a little skeptical of how this will go. I know, I know it's really popular. Um, I, I'm sort of seeing a lot of people talking about it a lot um, and, and their, their user base is growing. It's in the millions now. But I think there's kind of two big challenges. I think one, once we're allowed to all go outside again, this kind of thing just might not be quite as sort of uh, in vogue. I don't think that means it's, you know, they've built a terrible app and, and everyone yeah. everyone will drop it. But I think it might. You know, we might see a, a drop in popularity. I don't think they're going to have the same teething issues that everyone has, but it might be even more difficult. You know, Instagram compared to Twitter has maybe found it even harder to sort of eradicate um, extremists, offensive, um, you know, hate speech, things like that, and kind of root that out. And I think they're already, I'm already seeing problems. I'm seeing people talking about how they've got a bit of a, a bit of a problem on there. Um, and because it's all audio, really, really hard to tell what's being said but anyway what do you what do you feel about clubhouse yeah i i haven't really kind of looked into it too much to be honest jack so um yeah no it's uh it's an interesting um an interesting platform it seems like we might have a bit of platform overload at some point um but yeah no interesting to see how it develops absolutely well there we go that is all the news that's fit to print you'll see us again in another month um yeah, stay safe, everyone. Like I said, there'll be a bonus story, uh, which is a podcast interview with Adam Masseri. Um, in particular, the last sort of 15, 20 minutes where a lot of that, uh, a lot of that stuff uh, about the creator economy is, if you want to, if you kind of want to skip ahead to through the whole thing, uh, where he's talking about election interference. So that's it. It's uh, bye from me and Tom. Cheers. And we'll see you next month.